For those that were concerned that the clock in the back of the sanctuary is not working, Jim Burns just gave me his solid gold watch that uh, I get to keep track of the time. I have to give it back, yeah. It's, it's, it's not an offering. Um, move the clock Saturday, yes. Spring ahead. And just to be different this year, spring ahead two hours. Just uh, Jeremiah 20. Uh, we're continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah. I like Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 is a very honest chapter. As we've been talking a lot here in Jeremiah, there's a balance going on. There's the prophetic side of Jeremiah, what he's studying and talking about, of judgment coming, but there's also the personal side of Jeremiah. As we've mentioned numerous times out here in our study through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah suffered a lot as a prophet. Suffered a lot. Ministered for over 40 years. Did not have any success from a worldly standpoint. No one listened to his message. And, in fact, faced mocking, beating, ridicule. It was a really tough time for Jeremiah. And what you see here tonight is Jeremiah wanting to be done. You can see the first point we have is actually at the end of the chapter. I call it Jeremiah's breakdown. Read verse 14 with me, if you will, of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be confused with shame? That's honesty. That's quite honesty. Jeremiah's having a breakdown here. Now, here's the thing. We as Christians can never admit we have problems. It's just not allowed. We always have to pretend that everything's great, everything's fine, everything's dandy. Jeremiah is struggling, and he's struggling mightily in this area. So much so, he wishes he never was born. Now, we may not admit that publicly, but the truth of the matter is a lot of us probably have had those same thoughts. Why am I here? I wish I wasn't here. Why can't I just be dead? Why can't this season of life end? Why was I even born? Those are honest moments. Now, a lot of times we have the tendency to look at these verses and think, okay, well, that's what God was trying to say. The Bible's honest. The Bible records honestly what people are going through and what they're struggling. Verses 14 through 18 are not what you want to base your life off of. These are not foundational life verses that you say, this is what I want my life to be. These are honest verses of a man who's struggling. We use the phrase out here a lot of Ecclesiastes moments. If you've ever studied out the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a very dark, depressing, discouraging book. The book of Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a man who knows God exists. He knows there's a heaven. He knows there's the hell. But yet, he has no joy in life. He's not strong in his walk and relationship with the Lord. So instead of finding joy in life and joy in the Lord, he finds depression and he finds discouragement. And there's a phrase we use, like I said earlier, of Ecclesiastes moments. We all have moments like that. Work's not going good, or maybe there is no work. Health isn't going good. Marriage isn't going good. The kids aren't going good. Life's not going good. And you reach this point spiritually of you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're downtrodden, and you sit there and you say, Why, Lord? That's what Jeremiah's going through. To the point of verses 14 through 18, he basically wishes he never even existed. So, what got him to this point? Jump back now to verse 1 of Jeremiah 20. 
Now Pashur, the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah has prophesied these things. Then Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day that Pashur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Nagar Misabah. Now there's this guy by the name of Pashur. And it's kind of ironic. His name means freedom. And this is the guy that takes Jeremiah, verse 2, and puts him in the stocks. What happened is, Pasteur was a priest. Well, what was going on at this time is the priests were all saying everything's going to be fine and dandy. Babylon is breathing down Israel's neck. Jeremiah is the only prophet saying, listen, our sin, our sin is bringing this destruction on us as a nation. And we need to change our ways. We need to repent. We need to be remorseful. We need to confess our sins. No one's listening. In fact, all the priesthood is saying, you have nothing to worry about. All the priests are saying, don't worry, we'll win this battle. Jeremiah is the only one saying, no, we're not. But they got so sick and tired of Jeremiah that they take him in verse 2 and put him in the stocks. Put him in the stocks where? Verse 2. Right near the house of the Lord. So it's interesting. This guy's name means freedom. But he's the one yet locking up Jeremiah in the stocks. Comes back the next day, verse 3. He lets him go. Jeremiah says, your no longer name is now Pashur Freedom, but it's now this Magar Misabah, which means terror on every side. Now, I'm assuming a lot of us here have not been struck by people physically, verse 2. We have not been put in the stocks physically, verse 2. But you have somebody in your life that has the ironic name of freedom, and yet they just burden you. They burden you all the time. And when you're around this person, you may not be literally in the stocks like verse 2, but you sure feel like you're tied up. Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a person, and you're overwhelmed by life. You're overwhelmed by some future event that's coming. Some person, I don't know what it is, but it has tied you up in life and you have no joy. You have no strength because this person or this thing has captured you and you feel like you're spiritually in the stocks of life. Well, that's exactly what this guy was doing to Jeremiah. Hence, Jeremiah's frustration. So the Lord gives Jeremiah prophecy, verse 4. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashor, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die. And be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So, basically what Jeremiah comes out and says is, listen, I'm going to be proven right. I'm going to be proven right here because as Babylon comes and destroys, verse 4, you're going to realize that nothing you did, nothing you said was going to save you. All your false lies, all your false prophecies are all going to be wrong. People will see that I'm right. And then personally here in verse 6, Pashur that's quite the end. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Now, once again, if you look just at verse 6, you get this perspective again of God is just this angry guy that lives upstairs, and he just likes to judge people and makes people's lives miserable. That's not what it is at all. Everybody has the chance to repent. Everybody has the chance to make changes. We've talked about this last week in, verse, in chapter 19. Any person, any nation... God gives them the opportunity to repent and make changes in their life. The only time judgment comes on a nation or a person is where that nation or person has so totally and utterly rejected God that the only option left is judgment. 
God will never judge somebody who in their heart is, is confessing and repenting and remorseful of the sin that they've committed. This guy, Pashur, he's not that way. He wants to keep his privileged position of being a priest. He wants all the respect of the people. He sees Jeremiah as a threat, as a threat, excuse me. And so therefore he says, I'm going to take this guy out. But in fact, the Lord has the final say. Now, let's get to our next point here. Why is God so angry at this? Quick point if you look at your sheet. God hates false teachers and those who hinder the truth. He hates it. Turn if you with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. The Lord hates it when somebody takes the truth of the Bible and twists Scripture. The Lord hates it when a false teacher gets up and misrepresents God. He hates that. There's a great example in the Old Testament, if you remember correctly, the story of Moses. Back when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, they had no water. And so they needed water. So what happened is God told Moses to strike the rock. So Moses went over and struck the rock and fresh water flowed out in the middle of the wilderness. It was an amazing miracle. Well, later on, they needed water again. So God tells Moses, speak to the rock and the fresh water will flow out. But what happened is Moses is really angry and ticked at Israel. They've been whining. They've been complaining. And so Moses misrepresented God. And instead of just simply speaking to the rock, Moses goes over and hits the rock and represents God as being angry and upset. Because of that sin, God told Moses, you're not allowed to go into the promised land because you misrepresented me. The Bible makes it clear the rock represented Jesus. Jesus was struck, killed on the cross. The fresh water flowed of eternal life. Now we just need to speak to the rock, speak to Jesus, and we have salvation. We don't have to go strike the rock every time that someone wants to be saved. Jesus doesn't have to keep dying on the cross again and again. By Moses striking the rock a second time, it is, destroys the picture of Jesus having to die once. So because Moses misrepresented God, Moses was not allowed to go in the promised land. God hates it when Scripture is twisted. God hates it when false teachers falsely teach who Jesus is. If you go back to the uh, fall of man in Genesis 3, when Satan, in the form of the snake, twisted Scripture. The Bible makes it clear, Satan is the father of lies. So what happens with the false teachers? 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring them on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. God is keeping track of this. God is keeping track of those people that misrepresent Him and misrepresent the Bible. This is why it's vital, vital, that there is good, solid Bible teaching out there to make sure the truth is being presented. And that's why it's vital for us as believers to understand what the Bible says. Just because someone stands up with a pulpit and a Bible, don't listen to everything they say. Any point that we make out here, go study it out yourself. Make sure it lines up with God's Word. Because if someone is going to twist the Scripture, we need to know the truth enough to know that that's not true. The way you battle falseness and the way you battle false teaching is that you yourself know the Bible so well that when somebody says something that doesn't line up in the Bible, you're not fooled or deceived by that. Because you know the truth, and since you know the truth, you can point out that false teaching and say, that's not true because it doesn't line up with the Scripture. This guy here, Pashur, was a false prophet. He was misrepresenting God. He was preaching and teaching lies. And so therefore, judgment was going to come upon him because he misrepresented God and misrepresented the truth. 
That was the danger that was going on. Now, let's take a break here real quick. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we covered here thus far? Jeremiah being in the stocks, Pashur, or the idea of the false teachings here that we've covered here thus far. Now, before we forget, this false teaching stuff, it's still all over the place. My goodness, just go flip on any Christian station for a while and you're going to hear some false teaching after a while. It is. It's all over the place. And the importance for us is to know the truth. And I've got to be honest with you, I think this is a huge failing of the church. When I say the church, I mean the collective church, the body of Christ. Most Christians don't know the Bible real well. And I don't say that to pick on anybody, I don't say that to attack anybody, but we don't know the Bible real well, so when someone brings up a false point, instead of us saying, that's not true, it doesn't line up with Scripture, we just say, well, it sure sounds good. They're quoting verses. My goodness, there's 66 books in this Bible. You can make this Bible say anything you want. You just pick a verse here, and you pick a verse there, and you kind of combine them together, and you make it say anything you want. I just met with an individual not too long ago, and he was trying to make a logical point. He pulled something out of the law, then he pulled something out of the Gospels, then he pulled something out of an epistle, and he put all three together, and he said, See? I said, It doesn't work that way. You can't take that verse out of context, and that verse out of context, and that verse out of context, shove them together, throw a little bit of super glue on it, and make a spiritual point. It doesn't work. That's part of the reason why we do verse-by-verse, book-by-book teaching out here, is we feel you get the full context of what's going on. It's important to know that, to know the truth. So, God hates this false teaching. God hates those who hinder the truth. In fact, in the book of Luke, God says for those people that deceive others and lead them down a false path, He says it would be better for them just to throw a millstone, a huge stone around their neck, and throw them in the water, let them sink. Because He basically says, if you are purposely misleading people in truth, God says there's judgment coming for that. That's how important it is here in the Lord to say we represent Jesus and we represent him properly. Pashur was not doing that, so hence he was judged. Now, what happens though with this, Jeremiah reaches enough. He's just sick and tired. Look at verse 7. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and I have prevailed. I am in derision daily. I think the New King James here doesn't do a great job with that verse. Some of your other Bible translations, I think, are better. It comes right out and says, Lord, you deceived me. Jeremiah felt deceived. Jeremiah signed up for this. If you remember way back when we started this study back at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was young. God came to Jeremiah and said, I'm going to call you to this ministry. Jeremiah said, you sure you want me? I'm a little too young here. God says, no, I want you. I'm going to use you. Jeremiah, now years into his ministry... He says, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what you promised. Have you ever had that in your work history? Where in the interview process, and in the application process, it sounded really good. And then you got to your first day of training, you said, no, wait a second. No one ever told me anything about this. Maybe you got through the first day of training, and you're finally at your first day of work, and you're a couple days into it, and you're like, this is not what I signed up for in any way whatsoever. I think that's what Jeremiah is going through right here. He comes on and says in verse 7, God, you deceived me. Have you ever been in that spot spiritually where you felt like the Lord just flat out lied to you? You promised me joy. You promised me peace. You promised me eternal safety and security. You promised that you take all my cares and that you uplift me and you encourage me. You promised me all this, Lord, and yet my life is worse now than it was before I got saved. Lord, you lied. See, that's what Jeremiah thinks. Verse 7. Everyone mocks me. 
For when I cried out and I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. He says, I'm the only one yelling violence and plunder. Talk about the most unpopular ministry. No, no one wants to listen to me. I'm the one constantly saying, Babylon's coming, they're going to kill you. All these other prophets, quote unquote, are saying everything's going to be fine. He goes, I'm the one deceived. People make fun of me. People mock me. So, verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him anymore, nor speak anymore in his name. Verse 9, Jeremiah says, I quit. If you ever want to quit being a Christian... You're kind of sick and tired of it. You're kind of sick and tired of it at work. You're the only one that watches what you say. You're the only one watching your words. You're the only one working hard when no one else is. If you ever wanted to quit in just any in that relationship, you know what? No one else is working on this relationship. No one else is working on this marriage. I want to quit serving in the back. No one else serves as much as me. I just want to quit. That's what Jeremiah decided. He decided in verse 9, I'm done. Now, we've said this many times out here, that if you ever want to quit spiritually, you join a great list of people. Moses decided to quit, spent 40 years in the wilderness. David decided to quit, ran out into the wilderness. Peter decided to quit, went back to fishing. Elijah decided to quit so much that he had suicidal thoughts, went into the wilderness and said, Lord, take my life. We can just keep going down and down the road here. People just wanted to quit left and right. So if you've ever reached a point spiritually where you say, I'm done. The prayer thing doesn't work. The Bible study doesn't work. The church thing doesn't work. The praise and worship doesn't work. I quit. Well, you've joined a very great group of people. Now, the problem is, all those people that we just mentioned, the Moses, the David, the Peter, and the Elijah, and even Jeremiah, they all came back. Why? Because verse 9, if you truly love the Lord, if you're truly walking with Him... You can't quit. The Holy Spirit says, wait a second, look at the rest of verse 9. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah wanted to quit. Now, how long did he want to quit for? I don't know. Did he go home that day and say, I'm not doing it anymore? Woke up the next morning and said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Was it an hour? Was it a week? Was it a month? I don't know. But I've seen people spiritually quit. I've contacted them, haven't seen them in a while. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. You don't sound fine. I'm just done. I'm done. I'm done with the whole God thing. I'm done with the whole Bible thing. I'm done with the whole Word thing. I'm just done. Now, when I first started out here, I thought that was my personal job to go make sure that they weren't done. Then I realized this is a Holy Spirit thing. If the Holy Spirit is in their heart and the Holy Spirit has a burning fire in their heart, they're not going to be able to quit. They're going to be the boomerang. They're going to just go away and they're just going to come on right back. Got to love boomerang Christians. They may leave for a while, but eventually they will come back. Jeremiah wanted to quit, but he couldn't. There was something burning inside of him. And here, once again, we're talking about being honest. Every Christian at one time or another has probably wanted to quit. Probably have. I've heard many pastors give many messages saying, you know, how many times as a pastor have we just wanted to be done? I heard a pastor say one time, he goes, if you can do anything else, you're probably not called to be in the ministry. Because if you're called to be in the ministry, there's such a burning there, there's such a fire there, that you can't imagine doing anything else. You can't. Because the Lord has called you to this. Jeremiah in verse 9, there was such a burning and a calling, he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Turn, if you will, with me real quick to Luke 24. Luke 24. Let's talk about this burning desire that we have here. And maybe it's not necessarily quit the ministry. Maybe it's not quitting being a Christian. Maybe it's quitting a person. Have you ever had a person in your life that you are just so 
entwined with and emotionally connected to, and you have just ministered to this person. You have discipled this person as you're going to Luke 24. You, you have put all this effort and energy in this person, and, and you've finally just been left down, let down too many times, and you say, I quit. I'm done. I'm done praying for that person. I'm done witnessing to that person. I'm done contacting that person. And, and you want to be done, but you can't. The Lord has called you to that ministry. Let's talk about this idea and this burning that's in us. Now, here's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's Luke 24. It's the road to Emmaus. We've got these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Verse 13. Well, as they're walking, verse 14, they're talking in verse 15 about everything that Jesus did and what happened. But what happens is Jesus shows up. Now, they don't know it, verse 16, but verse 17, he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Verse 18, they're basically saying, You don't know anything about this? Jesus, verse 19, No, fill me in. So they said to him, These things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Here's the key, verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who have right at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us in the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they did not see. See, these guys, I think, were a little maybe disappointed. Maybe a little discouraged. Maybe they don't know. Look at verse 21. We were hoping that it was him. So they're trying to figure this out. They're in a spot of confusion. Now, if you're in a spot of confusion in life, there's a great verse you need to know. It's in Corinthians where it says that God is not a God of confusion. If any time somebody comes into my office and they look at me and they just say, Pastor, I'm so confused. First thing I can say is that's not of the Lord. God's not a God of confusion. And these people here, I think they were thinking too much. They were analyzing this, and they had moments of maybe joy and faith followed by moments of defeat and discouragement, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets that have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this guy, Jesus, which they don't know it's Jesus, starts explaining to them the scripture, verse 28. Then they drew near to the village... Where they were going, and he had indicated they would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with him. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, and he broke bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Here's the key, verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? See, there is a burning in you. When you have fellowship with Christ and you're in the Word. If you as a believer here tonight feel like your faith is not burning, it is smoldering at best, or maybe completely out. Let me ask you two questions. When's the last time you hung out with Jesus for a while? Number two, when's the last time you really got into the Scriptures and allowed God's Word to speak to your heart? See, that's what creates a burning in us. When I run into somebody who talks to me and they talk about spiritually how they're going backwards instead of forwards or just nothing at all spiritually, you got to say, when's the last time you spent time with Jesus and when's the last time you were in the Word and allowed the Word to really penetrate your heart? See, with Jeremiah, he wanted to quit, but he can't. There's a burning in there. So what does he do? Jump back now, Jeremiah chapter 20. We can relate to this. Jeremiah 20, verse 10. I heard many mocking, 
fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched from my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, then we'll prevail against him and we'll take our revenge on him. See, how many times have we been in that way in verse 10? You just feel like everybody's mocking you. You feel like everybody is just making fun of you. Verse 10, everybody's just watching you, waiting for you to fail. Do you ever feel like that in life? That everybody's just looking at you, saying, they're going to screw up. And we just have to wait for them to screw up. And then once they screw up, we can just stop and say, see, told you so. Told you so. That's exactly what we knew was going to happen. That's the way Jeremiah feels. I feel that I'm deceived by God. I feel like I'm just suffered here. I'm tired of preaching this message. There's fear. I'm being mocked. I'm going through all these things. He goes, but there's this burning desire in me. I just can't let it go. What does he do? Verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For I pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Now, I like this because it would be really nice if we could end after verse 13. But we've already read verses 14 through 18. I think this is a very honest chapter because sometimes in my low moments in my life, I have experienced all of verses 7 through 18. I feel deceived by God. But there's a part of me that wants to quit. But there's a part of me that can't. There's a part of me that feels like everybody's just mocking me. But then there's a part of me of verse 13 where I want to praise the Lord. But then there's a part of me in verses 14 through 18 saying, why was I even born? See, we're humans. We have all these emotions. I, I don't know where you're at in verses 7 through 18. I don't know where you're at. I hope you're around verse 13. That's a nice place to set up camp. The second half of verse 9 is a nice place to set up camp. But the truth of the matter is, depending on what you brought in here tonight... You may be in the, I feel mocked, I feel in fear, um, I feel everybody's just wanting me to fail, or I feel like God's deceived me, or verses 14 through 18, I wish I never was born. See, no matter where you're at, you can relate to Jeremiah's honesty. But what we really want to do is get back to verse 13 and say, okay, Lord, what matters most is trusting and praising you in the midst of this storm. See, we know how this ends. Jeremiah is having a rough moment. Because he's having a rough ministry. It doesn't mean he gives up. We know he doesn't give up. We know how the rest of the book ends. But we all have moments in our life where we feel like we just want to be done. We, the reason we read and study this in Jeremiah tonight is to say, Hey, I can relate to this. I can see this. I see the struggle I have. And God help me with what I'm going through. Be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. The Lord is there to help. And that's what he wants to do. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments here about anything we studied with Jeremiah, what his struggle was, or uh, anything else here that we talked about tonight then? Okay. If not, this is what I want to do. Let's take a, a couple moments here and let's just pray, because I feel there's probably a lot of us in these different moments here. We can relate to this, and we can say, okay, Lord, help us through this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you, as we get ready to close up, we've all been in different moments there in Jeremiah 20. Lord, for those walking in fear... I pray that you're giving them faith. Lord, for those that feel deceived, let down by you, this is not what they signed up for, show them the bigger purpose and plan. For those mocked for their faith and their effort and walk with Christ, give them strength to know that, Lord, you see their struggle and you encourage them. For those that feel like they're just always one step away from failure and people are just expecting them to fail, show them the plan that you have for their life and that's how you can help them. Lord, for those tonight that just want to quit, 
Lord, just pray that fire burning inside of them would reignite them to go deeper and stronger in you. And Lord, lastly, for those that just basically say, I wish I wasn't even here. Show them that you have a wonderful plan for their life. It doesn't make it easy, Lord, but you have a plan for them where they will be a light and a witness to many. And Lord, that they can really impact many generations for you and give them that burning desire to be a light and a witness for Christ, spreading his gospel in all ways. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless, and we'll catch you guys next week.